Hello and welcome to episode number 69 of the Draft Addicts, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm Chris Tripodi of DraftAnalyst.com, and joining me as always is Tony Pauline, as we keep the train rolling here with 2019 NFL Draft Reviews, and we'll move to the NFC South. Now, both the Atlanta Falcons and the Carolina Panthers were 7-9 and nine in 2018, but each team certainly believes that it can compete for a playoff spot this coming season. And they hope that they've done in the offseason, especially in the draft, will push them in that direction. And you know, on paper, it looks pretty good, but we'll take a deeper dive. Now, heading into the first day of the draft, the Falcons were rumored to have a significant interest in Houston defensive tackle Ed Oliver, possibly even trading up for him. But in the end, they stayed put at number 14 overall, and they made a pick that really surprised many by taking Boston College guard Chris Lindstrom. Now, a lot of people thought this pick was a reach, and our draft board would certainly agree with you. But it's also a very safe pick for a team that really did need help on the offensive line. Lindstrom tested out surprisingly well at the combine. He brings toughness and movement skills and also some versatility to play both tackle and guard to the Atlanta line where he'll likely end up starting out at right guard. But the Falcons weren't done on the first day. Even after drafting Lindstrom, they traded their third round pick to the Rams to move up from pick 45 to pick 31 and take Washington tackle Caleb McGarry which was probably a bigger reach than Lindstrom, another tough lineman who surprised at the Combine in terms of his athleticism. McGarry does have some injury issues in his past, and he's more of a right tackle-only prospect with short arms, but his anchor is strong. He does a good job controlling opponents at the point, and Atlanta was obviously focused on really upgrading their offensive line in this draft. Obviously, they did so, Tony, but at what price? Yeah, and, and I was dead wrong uh, with the Falcons because everything I heard and reported up through right before the uh, first round started was that it was going to be a defensive-oriented draft in the early part of the process for the Falcons, and it was anything but. So th- that's on me. But, you know, I would agree with you. You know, Lindstrom, I think, was a surprise as early as he went. There was a lot of buzz about him early on. You know, I didn't think he was going to go that early. I said as much. Lindstrom's a guy I like. I mean, I was on him in 2017. If you read my Rogers column, as you said, he's got the ability to play guard or tackle. He's a tough, slug it out guy. I think he's a poor man's version of Chris Snee, ironically, a early second round choice who came from Boston College. When I say poor man's, he's just a step below Chris Snee, who went on to have a long, distinguished career. You know, I like him. I just think there were better players available, especially on the defensive line. So we'll have to see how Chris Lindstrom's career pans out compared to, say, a Dexter Lawrence or somebody like that. Caleb McGarry, I, I mean, you're right. I, I mean, there were some questions as to his athleticism. He's got short arms. There are some medical issues from the past. We had him graded as a late second, early third rounder. There was some talk about him being a first round choice, and that's where he ended up. I think what's going to happen is you're going to see both McGarry and Lindstrom basically number one on the depth chart when the season starts, primarily because there's such a huge hole there for the Atlanta Falcons. Now, as a result of that trade for Caleb McGarry, the Falcons didn't pick at all in either the second or the third rounds, moving their two and the three to get the additional one. But in round four, they selected Ohio State cornerback Kendall Sheffield and Charleston defensive end John Kaminsky. They grabbed Pitt running back Quadri Allison and Washington cornerback Jordan Miller in the fifth and Louisiana Monroe receiver Marcus Green in round six to round out their draft. Now, Sheffield's combine workout was cut a bit short after he partially tore his pectoral on the bench press. His upside is high, though, thanks to good instincts and ball skills, but he only started one season for the Buckeyes and does have a tendency to occasionally get lost in coverage. Kaminsky is a well-above-average athlete who will obviously need to adjust to the NFL level of competition coming out of 1AA 
and he's more of a developmental prospect than you might hope for in round four. But there is talent and athleticism here in Kaminsky. Allison was rated as a free agent on our board. He's a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none type of back. Has great size at 228 pounds, but he's not particularly fast. He's not explosive. He's not agile. He can block and catch passes, though, and does project nicely as pure backfield depth in Atlanta. Jordan Miller was slowed by a knee injury in 2018 and obviously overshadowed by teammates Byron Murphy and Taylor Rapp, but he moves fluidly and has some nice ball skills. Obviously worth a flyer at this point to see if he can get back to his prior level of play. Marcus Green is probably more of a returner than a wide receiver, runs in the 4-4 range, but he's just 5'8 and likely isn't going to make much of an impact on the receiver room in Atlanta. Tony, what would you think of the Falcons' third day effort? I love both cornerbacks. I thought Kendall Sheffield was ridiculously underrated. Yes, he doesn't have a big body of work. Yes, he didn't time in the 40 because of that pectoral injury, and you really want to get some marks on underclassmen. But really, when I watched him on film, he's a guy who screamed second day to me. I believe he has starter potential down the road. I thought it was a sensational pick. I also like Jordan Miller. Jordan Miller was an outstanding player up until the middle of October of 2017 when he suffered a devastating injury. If you go back to the early part of the 2017 campaign, Jordan Miller, again, like Kendall Sheffield, looked like a legitimate second-day pick, probably a top 75 selection. It was a bad injury. He was slow returning this year, but you know what? If he eventually gets it back into gear and, and gets to a level where he was playing before the injury and shows some durability, you got a guy that's going to be a nickelback, potentially a starter. So I thought that was absolutely worth the selection in round five. John Kamiski, like you said, you know, he's a great athlete. I don't know that he's a great player. He didn't have great production at Charleston on the small school level. Didn't really distinguish himself at the uh, Senior Bowl when he had the opportunity to. I think he's a good fit for the uh, Atlanta system. I think it's a situation where he's going to have to really translate that athleticism and that size and the speed into football production. So stick him on the roster. He has a high upside, but there are no guarantees with Comiskey. Quadrialston, like you said, a bigger back, does a little bit of everything well, maybe a number four running back on the depth chart. Marcus Green, slot receiver, return specialist. That's where he's going to have to make it. And, you know, as we've spoken about in many of these past draft reviews, you know, more and more importance is put on slot receivers. So I think, you know, he could have an outside shot of making the active roster. Atlanta scooped close to 20 free agents after the draft. And despite that volume, it's really a UDFA class that lacks intrigue. Arkansas State's Leonard Bonner is an interesting player. Played left tackle in college. Will likely end up bumping inside to guard at the NFL level. Where his ability to pull outside the line and get to the second level will give him a chance. He does need some time in an NFL weight room to fill out though, but he's probably worth keeping on the practice squad for Atlanta, especially considering that need along the offensive line that still exists despite their pair of first-round picks to fortify that position. Anybody else stand out here to you, Tony? The only other guy would be Olamade Zacchaeus from Virginia, sort of like the same type of player that they selected in the late rounds with Marcus Green, an undersized slot receiver who's really going to have to stand on special teams. He's an explosive guy, and I think if he shows well in summer camp, he absolutely will have a chance to make the active roster. Now, it's kind of a strange draft by the Falcons. They did fortify the offensive line, which we've kind of harped on a bit here, and that was obviously a major need for them coming into the draft. But they struggled to get value with their picks and put forth probably an overall uninspiring effort despite filling some needs and getting some talent on day three, at least in my opinion. Yeah, I think they went the safe route, especially early on. I mean, Lindstrom's safe. He doesn't have great upside, 
As I said, I think there were defensive linemen who were better than him. Caleb McGarry a little bit early, but he's safe. But again, you know, I think those are two guys who are going to start or see uh, a lot of action as rookies. And then we'll have to wait and see how Kendall Sheffield, John Comiskey, and George Miller really pan out on the last day of the draft. Now, I'll break down the Panthers draft in just a moment. But before we do, please support the draft analysts by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of the big podcast platforms. You can also find us at Believe.com. Leave us a rating and a review. If you have any questions you want answered on the show, tweet us at Chris Tripodi, at Tony Pauline, at Draft Analyst One, and at Believe Podcast to get in touch with the show. Now, Carolina sat 16th in this year's draft and watched as Florida State edge rusher Brian Burns fell right to them. We initially questioned the fit on this podcast, but as we had previously talked about, the Panthers are likely to be a bit more multiple on defense this season, which makes Burns more of an intriguing fit for a team that plays that general 4-3 scheme. He's all about wingspan and freak athleticism, rarely on the ground, bends the edge about as well as any pass rusher in this year's draft. Just don't expect him to hold up against the run, at least until he adds some strength to his frame, considering he's a lanky 6'5 and 250 pounds. Yeah, I mean, that's basically it. He'll make some spectacular plays as a pass rusher, but he can be a liability against the run. It'd be interesting to see if they use him standing over tackle as opposed to coming out of a three-point stance. Like you said, they're going to go to multiple fronts. A lot of the Panther fans who uh, followed us corrected me on that. So, I, I mean, he's got great upside. I think with Burns, it's just a matter of, one, he's got to get a little bit bigger and stronger. Two, he's got to improve his play against the run. And three, he's got to get more accustomed to standing over tackle and rushing the passer. That's not always an easy transition, but he's got the tools to be a big-time player at the next level. Absolutely. And Carolina is actually one of the few teams in this year's draft, and more or less every year's draft, that had one pick in every single round. And a big reason for that is because the Panthers traded pick 77, a third rounder, to Seattle to move up from 47 to 37 overall and draft Mississippi tackle Greg Little with their second round pick. They also grabbed Will Greer near the end of the third round. Now, Little was hyped as a guy, a potential top five pick before the season, but he had an up and down 2018 campaign, which brought some concerns to light about his ability to handle the blind side in the NFL, which explains the fall into the early part of round two here. But Carolina obviously saw a lot of value in him to trade up. He's a good pass blocker who can also help out in the run game. And if he gets back on track and plays more like he did before last season, this is going to look like excellent value, especially if we're comparing what the Panthers did to what the Falcons did earlier in the show. Now, Greer was a great scoop at pick 100. Even if you don't think he has starter upside, backup quarterbacks are becoming more and more valuable every year in the NFL. And that's really Greer's floor. Cam Newton's shoulder issues don't seem to be going on way, unfortunately. And Carolina's backup situation has really been pretty shaky for a couple of years now. So this pick, at the very least, upgrades that backup spot and also provides some insurance on Newton if he doesn't return to full health. Greer's a guy who has a good arm. He's generally accurate, does battle some inconsistency at times, especially with his deep ball. And he's already 24 years old, so he might not have much more growth in him. But all that aside, I still think this was a really nice day two haul for Carolina. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, you know, if they get the best out of Greg Little and they get him back to where he was coming off the 2017 film, uh, they hit a home run. I mean, there's no guarantees, but like you said, I mean, you come back off the 2017 film after the 2018 draft, many people, including myself, thought he was a top five pick, and I think legitimately so or justifiably so because he showed a lot of skill at the left tackle spot. Played very uninspired this year, looked very methodical, looked like he was uh, stuck in cement at times, 
went to the combine, did not test well athletically, but still, you know, where they selected him in round two, I think it's worth the risk of, of taking him. Hopefully he develops into a left tackle, which means that they can move Taylor Moten more to the right side and move him into guard. Worst case scenario, I think Greg Little will be a very good, inexpensive swing backup tackle if they can't develop him into a starter. Will Greer was very happy with that pick. I had said uh, multiple interviews leading up to the draft that they were they were going to take a quarterback in the second day of the draft. They were looking at Will Greer in round two. And if he fell to their laps in the third round, they would scoop him right up. And that's exactly what he did. That's exactly what they did. I apologize. They obviously don't need him to play with Cam Newton there. But you look at their depth chart, Tyler Heineke, is uh, number two on the depth chart. He's a smart thinking man's quarterback who's got limited physical skills. Uh, I think Greer is in a perfect situation there where he can develop into a pro-style passer. He has the tools. He has the ability. He's got the upside. He's got it going on between the ears. He just needs some consistency, and he's going to have to learn to play in a pro-style offense. Now, with their four picks on the third day, the Panthers selected Alabama edge rusher Christian Miller in round four, Florida running back Jordan Scarlett in round five, South Carolina tackled Dennis Daly in the sixth round and Georgia wide receiver Terry Godwin in the seventh. Now, Miller is a good athlete and kind of similarly to Burns at a poor man's level. He's an edge rusher without the size to really put his hand in the dirt, but he's explosive off the edge, bends well, just going to need to get stronger and improve in coverage to be anything more than a situational rusher, but still a solid pick here to kick off the third day for Carolina. Scarlett. He's a pretty solid back with decent size. He's 5'10 and a half, 208 pounds, a little smaller than you want your featured backs to be. But as a fifth round pick, they're not looking at him like that, especially with Christian McCaffrey on the roster. Now, Scarlett was suspended for the 2017 season. He was a part of that credit card fraud scheme that got a lot of the Gators players in hot water that year. But Scarlett runs with power and aggression. He's got burst and patience to really be effective between the tackles. He has enough speed to get to the corner as well. If he could only catch passes a little bit better, which is a definite struggle for him, uh, you know, he'd be able to produce on third downs and be more of a complete backup for Christian McCaffrey. But obviously, if something does happen to McCaffrey, Scarlett can at least pick up some of the pieces between the tackles and as a running back rather than as a receiver. Now, Dennis Daly is a decent athlete, struggled a bit with consistency with the Gamecocks, probably more of a right tackle in the NFL than a blindside protector, but a guy that should provide some solid depth for the Panthers on the O-line. And Terry Godwin is also going to be a depth player at receiver. He's thin. He's an average athlete, but he runs really solid routes. Saw it at the Shrine game in St. Pete this year. Catches the ball well with his hands away from his body. Just don't expect him to really threaten down the field or win out too much in contested situations. I love the selection of Christian Miller in round four. I actually thought he was a second-day selection. Didn't work out before the draft because he suffered an injury in the national championship game. You know, when you compare him to Brian Burns, he's not the same pass rusher, but he's a better linebacker. He's more of a three-down guy. He's better in coverage. He's actually better in space. I think this is a a pick that is really going to turn some heads. It's going to make a lot of Carolina Panther fans happy. George Scarlett, I agree with you. I thought he was a bit undervalued as well. He's got excellent size. Ran the 40 in the mid-4-4s. Didn't test well otherwise as far as his jumps and his three-cones. But he's got some excellent short area quickness. He runs tough on the inside. He's a guy who gets as much as possible from every carry. Not a bad receiver out of the backfield. Dennis Daly comes off a terrible 2018 campaign. When you watch the 2017 film, you think he's a fourth-round pick who's poised to jump into the second day of the draft. Never happened. Was very nondescript throughout his senior season. 
did not have a good week of senior bowl practices, and he actually went in the reverse direction, went from a fourth-round pick to a sixth-round choice. Still has a good amount of upside. He's just got to show more consistency. I love the selection of Terry Godwin in round seven. Again, you know, we say this over and over again, slot receiver return specialist. Runs incredible routes. I mean, just crisp routes, catches the ball well. It's just not a burner. He's not a guy who can be a, a legitimate vertical threat, downfield threat, which is what you usually want in a smaller receiver. But again, someone who is able to separate through his route running, catches the ball cleanly. And if he does a good job returning punts in camp this summer, I could absolutely see him making an active roster. Now, some limited free agent signings for the Panthers. Georgia's Elijah Holyfield was a running back many liked before he barely cracked 4.8 in the 40 in Indy at 217 pounds, which is just a truly tragic time. I mean, we talk all the time about how testing isn't the end-all be-all, but you have to at least prove that you're a base-level NFL athlete. And by barely running 4.8, Holyfield really didn't do that, and that's why he fell out of the draft. We had him as a sixth rounder before the combine, but that speed, as I said, really just a non-starter. He's only going to be able to be effective between the tackles if he does end up on a 53-man roster. Cal linebacker Jordan Kanoshik is another guy who lacks NFL athleticism. He's not going to contribute in coverage, but he's an instinctive two-down player who should excel on special teams with the chance to slide in as a backup on the depth chart if he's able to make the roster based on his special teams ability. Anybody of interest for you here, Tony? Yeah, I like Kanashik a lot. I mean, I thought that he was potentially a late-round pick until he ran, and he didn't run all that well, and he was not invited to the combine, which kind of killed his draft status. But he's a smart, instinctive guy who I think could be an inexpensive backup, especially if they're going to play more 3-4s. You're going to want to load up on a few more uh, interior guys. Kanashik definitely does it. Uh, Damien Jean-Pierre Jr. from Nickel State. We have a scouting report on him at draftanalyst.com. A guy's got excellent size, 5'10 and a half. A little bit thin at under 180 pounds, ran 4.47. Big play guy. I mean, he's a highlight human real film if you watched him the past two years. Also a return specialist. And again, you know, you look at the Carolina Panthers depth chart at receiver. You know, there's room there for some of these guys to make it. So if Jean-Pierre plays well during the summer and shows ability returning kicks, uh, don't be surprised if he makes an active roster. Now, the Panthers did well to add talent on the first two days of the draft. And while none of their day three picks stood out as massive values, they added solid players at pretty good value who could end up making an impact on their roster even as soon as this season. They did add some depth as well with later round picks. Tony, how would you grade what Carolina did overall? I thought it's a good draft that could be a spectacular draft. If Ryan Burns meets his upside potential as a pass rusher, if Gregory Little gets it back to where he was in 2017, if Will Greer really puts it together and shows some consistency, if Christian Miller does what I think he's capable of doing in a 3-4, you know, Terry Godwin is a slot receiver, a return specialist, Jordan Scarlett as a rotational back, even Dennis Daly. I mean, if he gets really to where he was off the 2017 film and improves, you're looking at an inexpensive utility offensive tackle. All these guys have the opportunity to make an active roster. And a lot of them come with high upside and play priority positions, whether it's pass rusher, whether it's left tackle, whether it's a quarterback. So, you know, if they're developed properly and they hit their upside, and obviously there's no guarantees, this could really turn out to be an outstanding draft. And that's all for the 69th episode of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. 
We'll have another show Friday to finish off the NFC South with the Saints and the Bucks. So keep an eye on your podcast feed and head over to draftanalyst.com as well for over 700 scouting reports and all of our recent podcasts reviewing the other divisions around the league. On behalf of Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Tripodi. Thanks for tuning in.